You're listening to RE Snapshots. Each fortnight, we chat about the science behind the weeds, tackling herbicide resistance, and bringing you the latest information with experts in the field. Today for the ARI podcast, we're chatting with another person who is on sabbatical at ARI and a good friend of ARI, Martin Villa Ayub. How are you going, Martin? Very well. Thank you, Jessica. Perfect. Now, you're coming all the way from Argentina, from the University of Buenos Aires. That's a pretty yes. long way to travel. Yeah, very long and tiring travel, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine. I've never been to South America, but I'd love to go. And you actually did your PhD at ARI about 18 years ago. Can yes. you tell us what you focused on and, and why you came over here? Yes, well, th- at that time, I started in 2001. And my my whole project took uh, four years. And I I focused on quantifying a fitness costs associated with P450 metabolism in rigorous. Right. Could you explain a little bit further about what your research looked into? Uh, you mean during the PhD? During the PhD. Just a bit of a brief overview yes. because I know P450s, people are very interested in that subject. Yeah. The general theory in biology uh, predicts that um, when an organism is resistant to any stress, during the absence of that stress, that resistant organism will pay a cost in in the fitness in the environment organisms there are there are limited resources always so if an organism uh, use resources for defense in this case it would be res- to be resistant to a herbicide those resources cannot be used for growth and that's what the the, the theory predicts and in our case, during those, during that project, PhD project, we could, in a way, go in line with that prediction because we found that uh, a rigorous population with P450 metabolism uh, did have uh, a fitness cost in, in the individuals. And a little bit later on in the podcast, we will chat a little bit more about fitness penalties and throw out a few little concepts and, and uh, discuss how uh, that might work if, for example, there were to be more fitness penalties, what would that mean for resistance? So we'll look into that a little bit later in the podcast. But Martin, I did want to know what you're focusing on now, because obviously 18 years ago, it's a long time in between, but you've been back and forward from Ari a couple of times within that time period. So yeah. what's your focus on at the moment? Well, my focus didn't change much in terms of herbicide resistance. Since that moment, I I became a specialized my a subject of research uh, on herbicide resistance in wheat. And over all these years, uh, I paid attention to um, studying uh, fitness costs associated with uh, many herbicide resistant genes. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, it was fun. And of course, there has been other types of research on resistance, but most of the time, well, most of the cases have been with uh, a fitness cost. Okay, sure. And what about your time on your sabbatical here at ARI? Is there a project that you're working on in particular or any objectives you want to meet while you're here? Yes, well, this particular time in ARI, uh, I came here to write, basically it would be a writing exercise uh, we have with, with Steve Powers and other ARI colleagues some pending manuscripts uh, that need to be written. So that will be my goal all the time, writing uh, 
no, not many, no, no experiment this time. Uh, about 10 years ago, we published a review on fitness cost, and that review has been uh, highly, it has been highly cited in the literature. So, but after those, after these 10 years, there have been so many uh, updates and new knowledge on the topic that we want to, that's one of the papers we want to write uh, an update on on the original review. Yeah, time a lot of time has passed, so that would be really beneficial, yeah. obviously. Yeah. That's right. All right, well, let's dive into some of these questions around fitness penalties then. How common are fitness penalties, Martin? Well, how common they are. They are not as common as theory predicts. Okay. That that's a, that's a fact. Um, as I just told you, um, theories predicts that a herbicide-resistant population should pay some kind of cost in the fitness. But we have found that nature has its ways to avoid that uh, fitness penalty. And we know very well that there are certain certain types of resistant mechanisms that uh, do not attract any cost in, in any, any fitness penalty. Right. Uh, in the end, we what we know is that to, for a fitness cost to to be expressed, the plant has to have certain biochemical changes. That then, because the a fitness cost is the ultimate consequence of a plant in producing less seeds, for instance. Sure. But to produce less seeds or to produce less progeny. There has to be before that other biochemical changes or physiological changes in the plant uh, that account that reduction in, in the progeny. Yeah, right. Okay. Just a little bit of a question which is just a bit conceptual. Would resistance disappear if we did have more of these fitness penalties? Absolutely, yes. But the cause, the fitness penalty, has to be significant, significantly high. Um, otherwise, the disappearance or the reduction in resistance over time uh, would be very slow. Sure. Recently, very recently, with with some uh, ARI colleagues, we identified this is probably one of the most, if not the most, highest fitness cost in a herbicide-resistant wheat. And the cost is so high that those plants, those resistant plants, this is in goosegrass, in Eleusin indica, which has a novel uh, double mutation. So these plants have not one, but two uh, target side mutations. Those resistant plants pay an enormous cost in fitness. Uh, They grow very, very slowly. They produce very, very few seeds. And and in, in that case, I'm pretty sure we 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 didn't perform the experiments yet, uh, but with modeling we can we can predict that the the frequency of this uh, type of resistance with the double mutation would rapid, rapidly re- decrease over time uh, when when glyphosate in this case because these plants are glyphosate resistant when glyphosate is not uh, used. Okay, right. 
And is there any other way to apply that knowledge? Have any other researchers looked at it and, and wanted to develop any other techniques around trying to, I guess, exploit, exploit, you exploit mean? it? Yeah. Um, well, there there could be other other ways to exploit the a fitness penalty in a resistant population. Um, in during my PhD project, uh, we found that um, seeds of uh, uh, seeds that have a target site mutation in 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 the ACCA gene, uh, for instance, do not terminate under dark darkness conditions. Right. Okay. So <coughs> they are completely inhibited when the seeds are in dark. So when you think of um, during in, in a crop in a cropping situation, um, if those seeds somehow when they are they shattered from the mother plants, somehow they we are able to bury them. It doesn't have to be very deep, very deep. Sorry, uh, it, it could be a very very shallow. Yeah, uh, just to block depth. the light. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the effect of that practice would be a reduction, uh, about eighty percent reduction in the germination of that. Uh, uh, population. Yeah, right. Very cool. Yeah, but awesome. unfortunately, that that has been one <laughs> only case. Yeah. Um, I think it's very difficult to generalize about um, the expression of resistant cost or fitness cost. Yeah, sure. Uh, at the moment, we we have learned that uh, it depends on on several factors, and probably the main one is the is the resistance gene. What gene is uh, where the mutation is located? I mean, what gene, what is the mutated gene? Yeah, sure. And I guess with gene editing technology in the future, that there could be a lot of potential there. Would, uh, you, would you say there is potential going forward as these technologies around gene modification become more usable, yeah. I guess? Well, d- yes, I'm pr- uh, th- that there is no doubt that... Um, uh, the genome or gene modification uh, could be uh, a robust uh, tool very soon, um, but we need to be careful about uh, whether, when we when we edit a genome, uh, we need to we need to see what's the consequence, mm. the ultimate consequence at the plant level, at yes, the phenotypic yeah. level, uh, in terms of fitness. Yeah, because you can have the best mutation. In protecting plants from a herbicide, but then if you don't use that herbicide, those plants could be could be very weak sure. and express a fitness cost. Yeah, so definitely a lot of experiments would need to be done first uh, in the lab before yes. any field stuff was done. Well, I also wanted to ask you just a little bit more broadly about some of the differences between. Western Australia and Argentina agricultural practices. Could you give us a little bit of an overview of what farming is like, broadacre farming is like in Argentina compared to here? Yes, yes. Well, the main, well, the first difference I could say we don't have uh, as big farms as you've got here, in here. Um, we, in the Pampas, that's the agricultural region where I come from, in the Pampas, we have, let's say, the advantage that we have a rain uh, distributed across the whole year, so we can grow summer crops. Okay, cool. So in that regard, 
I would say the that the Argentinian agriculture is uh, is a little bit more diverse than the one here in WA because we can grow uh, as you grow barley, uh, wheat, canola, but we can also grow corn, soybeans, uh, sunflowers, or sorghum, for instance, and that. The difference in the number of crops during winter and summer uh, make the agroecosystems agro uh, more diverse. So how many crops would a typical farmer plant in a year? Uh, well, it could be, could be two or three. Yeah, cool. Could be two or three. Uh, we have a, a special rotation in which farmers are harvesting, like in here, wheat in, let's say, in December. And at this, on the same day, they are harvesting wheat and they are seeding soybeans. <laughs> wow. Yes, all, all on the same day. All right, okay. We share, we share the no-till um, technology or practice. Uh, we share the wide use of herbicides. Perhaps in that regard, we use more herbicides that, than, than in Australia because, or WA, because we use transgenic crops. Yeah, we have okay. GM, GM crops. We have had transgenic crops for since 1996. So we have uh, glyphosate-resistant soybeans and glyphosate-resistant corn, uh, which in those systems, uh, glyphosate is a, is a very important tool. And of course, the consequence of that has been that in the last 10 years, in several cases of, of wheat with glyphosate resistance have uh, evolved. Sure. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And are farmers aware of uh, other tools they can use aside from herbicide chemistry to try and diversify their weed management? Uh, uh, or is that well, still an ongoing issue? Certainly we we are learning from, from in here about the weed seed uh, control strategies. Uh, but it's funny because every farmer with a resistant problem in Argentina would ask you, Okay, what other herbicide I can use? Okay. <laughs> so, uh, to be honest, they are thinking more of other chemical options than uh, cool, Me yeah, mechanical, mechanical or, or, or crops, yes, different crops yes. or something like that. Yeah. So, is that uh, are people very? Um, I guess with all these transgenic crops, is there anyone using crops that aren't transgenic, or is it pretty much all of them? No. Well, in soybeans. Probably you cannot find okay. any farm with conventional soybean. Right. That would be a challenge. Yeah. Um, with corn, yes, the technology has not been adopted 100%, but it's growing and growing. Yeah, basically, GM technology makes to manage the paddocks or the fields uh, easier. Much easier. Yeah, yeah, I understand. But in terms of the messages around the consequence of too much glyphosate use, are, are those messages being shared with farmers or is there any are there any plans to try yes. and help them out yes it's the, in argentina the, the the issue is that we have had resistance only let's say in, in the last decade yeah or we started to deal with resistance in the last decade so all or most of the agronomists and and farmers have not the, do not have the experience sure, yeah. as in here. Yeah, because it's such a new... Exactly. So yeah. it's a matter also of... It's a learning curve yeah. for, for everybody Yeah, uh, to learn that um, rotating chemical groups from different mode of action is a good thing, that 
rotating chemical and non-chemical options, it's also uh, it's something that needs to be uh, conducted. So, yeah, we are learning. Yeah, excellent. Well, that's good to hear. And yeah, hopefully, given the internet and all the availability of information, you'll have a better crack at getting those messages through to Argentinian farmers and some of the other countries in the world which have had resistance for a lot longer. Absolutely. Even some parts of Australia, we yeah struggle with, with having that diverse weed management. So mm. yeah, very interesting to hear about the, the farming approach in Argentina, though. And yeah, obviously, we're really happy to have you here. Is there any other comments that you'd like to make in summing up our little chat? Probably I've, I've come to, since I finished my PhD, I lost the count, but I may have come here five more times. Uh, I find UWA a very nice place to study uh, and to work. And, and in ARI, I find that uh, that knowledge I find many colleagues that I can interact with so often and I enrich myself from all of them. Uh, so, yeah, I, I feel very good being, yeah. coming here often. It's your second home pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> all right. Pretty well, much. Well, thank you so much for having a chat with me today, Martin. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jessica.